Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Emerging technologies are transforming the healthcare industry as we know it. Investors, say hello to HTech, a portfolio dedicated to capturing the significant growth potential of healthcare innovation. Learn more at RoboGlobal.com slash HTEC. Quick, come on. They just came on now. Let's try to get closer to the stage. Sorry. Excuse me. Do you want to go on my shoulders? Yeah, that'd be unreal. Thanks. Wow. Three celebrates connections made by music this summer. Find out more at 3.ie forward slash music. What's up, Pels fans? I'm your host, Preston Else, and today we have our fearless leader, Ali Cassell, on the pod. He's going to be on here breaking down the Pelicans' summer league and performances by Quinn Cook and Czech Diallo. But before we go any further, some housekeeping. Check out... Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. This pod and more on iTunes or at blogtalkradio.com slash NBA or on iTunes, search for The Bird Call NBA Podcast. We want to thank you guys for your support and we ask for it yet again. Like, subscribe, retweet, comment, every little bit helps. Also, make sure you go to thebirdrights.com to read new stuff from Ollie as well as Brett David Roberts and the rest of the crew. But for now, it's time to phone a friend. Now we welcome back on the man who would be king, the Arthur, to our round table. What is up, Ali Cassell? <laughs> hey, Preston, how you doing? What an introduction. <laughs> Unnecessary. Know, you are a would-be king. I don't know where that puts me, if I'm Sir Percival or <laughs> if David Fish is Lancelot. Uh, we'll figure it out as we go along. I think uh, we, we threw our ages around in our Twitter conversation the other day, and I, I felt a, a lot better about my standing once I heard uh, the whole collective group's average age. How did you feel once you heard every, where everybody was standing? Well, I've already known it for some time, so it do- it doesn't feel good every time I have to listen to it again. <laughs> well, I'll keep your secrets safe. Ali Cassell, for those of you who don't know, is not only the engine behind thebirdrights.com, he is also a tireless worker and has recaps up on the site right now on Friday and Sunday's single possession losses to the Raptors and Hawks. And rather than just break down the entire game, because nobody really cares about that unless you want to, Ali, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that stuff. But I, I have to start with a quote from our summer league head coach, Jamel McMillan, the son to Pacers head coach, Nate McMillan, for those of you who, again, don't know. He said, the whole thing is about him. And of course, I'm referring to the 20-year-old Kansas Jayhawk, Czech Diallo. Uh, he's put up 50 and 20 on remarkable efficiency thus far, culminating in a, in a slam over Torian Prince and an even more uh, hilarious finger wag after the fact we found out that Dikembe Mutombo is his idol, which I didn't know, maybe you did. But in an offseason devoid of, of much news and player interaction, Pelicans fans are putting much of their faith into this 20-year-old power forward. Tell me, Ali, let's, let's get excited. Throw caution to the wind. Why do you think fans should just lose their collective minds just based on these two performances? Well, in just one year's time, and I, I was at Las Vegas last year, so I watched him in person, and I, I kind of saw the skills and the talent sitting there waiting to be unleashed. But literally, you could tell this guy had barely played any basketball because he was getting lost on the court, uh, on assignments, you name it, how to run plays. But this year, he's actually looking like a basketball player. He's making moves. He's now got a jump shot. 
Um, and you just look at his free throw form. My God, it, in just one year's time, the improvement is astounding. And that, and you add it to that talented little package that can like jump out of the gym and uh, with his incredible length, the Pelicans have a stud. And I think everybody has a right to be excited about him. That's exactly the answer that I wanted to hear. Now, I, I did have a discrepancy with not you, but with uh, I, I read Bleacher Report NBA pretty much every morning. It's a good way to pass that uh, that coffee break time. Michael, uh, I'm going to try Pina, Pina, compared him to, to Kenneth Faree. And I don't really think that that's app. He called him a, a maniacal hustle machine. Uh, I, I think of him more as like a, a skilled big man, like a LaMarcus Aldridge type. Tell me, what, what do you think is a, is a good NBA comparison for Czech right now? Ooh, that's a good question. I can see why Michael said Kenneth Free because it's true. You don't see Diallo's motor often. And this guy, this guy really does go attack everything hard. For instance, I noted in yesterday's game, he, um, he uh, drove hard to the lane. And I think the first time ever I saw him rise up over somebody and use his left hand to score. And then on the very next play down on the other end, he's diving um, just to knock an entry pass into the post out of bounds, you know? This guy truly exhibits uh, a lot of the similar kind of characteristics you see in Kenneth Freed, uh as to where he's going to try and out-jump you on the offensive end for lay-ins, and then on the other side, he's just going to ultimately hustle on every play. So I can see the comparison, but yeah, to your point, I can also see why it's a bad one, because let's face it, Sheck has got a jump shot. He's got good form, and it's only been two games, but you can't deny the fact that this guy – um, it's kind of looking like a little baby Anthony Davis out there. I don't want to get anybody too excited because he's never going to become the type of player as Anthony Davis, but you can see the similar qualities, their, their explosiveness, their um, quickness at their size. Um, yeah, Kenneth Freed's not the exact right comparison you should look for because that ultimately caps his ceiling, and it's a lot higher. I mean, he's, he's making jumpers just inside the three-point line like he's been doing it for years. So... As to a perfect one-on-one comparison, I can see why you said Aldridge because of jumper, but let's, let's face it, Aldridge can't move nearly half as fast as uh, Diallo, and um, he doesn't have that kind of uh, defensive motor either. So I'm going to keep thinking about for the rest of this podcast on the good comparison. You hit me with a good question. I can't come up with a perfect answer right now. You know what? I was just thinking the exact same thing. That That's a lot closer to my area code, though, what you were saying. Uh, I, I don't want to call him Kenneth Fareed. Uh, with a jump shot. Let's let's read one quote from him. Just uh, last year was so different, man. Uh, he said of practice on Saturday. This year, I have to be the leader. I have to talk to everybody. I have to tell everybody what to do. I don't try to demand uh, much of anyone, but basketball-wise, I was there last year, and I know I have to talk to people, and I have to help them. And like you said, his 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 motor is 100 miles an hour at all times. But but he tends to get to get beat uh, by dumb mistakes, like one possession. Uh, I didn't get to see much of the games, but uh, just from what I'm collecting online, one possession featured four offensive rebounds by some of the Raptors' big guys, uh, Tiakam and and Pirtle, I think. But uh, so he he does have the tendency to to have some 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 slip ups, some drops, and let people go right by him. But he does have the athleticism. But right now, I feel like he's more. Um, more an offensive player, and we sort of need more of that Kenneth Fareed out of him. Is that where you'd say he is right now, or do you see him building defensively a lot more than I do? No, that's a good analogy. Um, and I've noticed the same thing. In my first uh, recap of the uh, Pelicans game against the Raptors, I noted the uh, negatives of both Diallo and Quinn Cook. And guess what? They were both on a defensive side uh, for the most part. These guys still have a lot to learn on that end. Uh, one thing I do want to point out that's a real positive about Diallo is the fact that he can literally guard pretty much any wing player up to, you know, the less beefy centers out there. For instance, on a lot of transition opportunities by the Raptors, and then yesterday a couple in the Hawks game, I saw him pick up the ball handler up in the open court, and guess what? That ball handler did not make it to the rim. He warded them off every single time. So he's got the skills and the ability to be a really good defender and, and, and the versatile defender that Darren Ehrman loves to have. Uh, so, but as you mentioned, individually though, on the one-on-one, he's still got to lear- a lot to learn. And for instance, my biggest pet peeve, and I know this is one of David Fisher's too, is the fact that Diallo constantly leaves his feet. Just like we've seen Anthony Davis over the years fall for ball fake after ball fake, Diallo is just doing the same thing. And again, I think I, you have to attribute it to a lack of minutes and uh, lack of composure 
because um, he's just a kid out there. He's barely got any experience under his belt, so it's to be expected. And you can see him kind of, you know, be dismayed at himself when he picks up a foul after leaving his feet, and then, the, you know, the offensive player just picks up a quick, easy two points at the free throw line. And uh, what else? Yeah, and then, like I said, on the one-on-one defense down in the post, for instance, his feet, footwork's not right, so sometimes um, the offensive player will have an easy spin uh, to the rim for an easy land. And you've noticed that in the box scores, uh, both Seacom uh, and then Collins have had amazingly efficient nights. And most of the time they've been guarded by Diallo. So he's still got a lot to learn on that end. Yeah, and he does have the athleticism. One of the reasons he was a five-star recruit at a high school got lost. Uh, I'm, I'm doing all this from memory, but I think he got lost in the lineup because he had an injury early on in his freshman season in Kansas, and he got relegated to an average of seven minutes a game for the remainder of the season when he came back in December. And that's one of the reasons the Pelicans had such a great shot getting him. I, I think it was at 33rd overall. But we were we were talking about his athleticism and and using that to to his strong suit and having some of those mental lapses. And I remember that he had a strong relationship to Scal Labissier, who now is with the Kings. They used to text each other before the draft and at their workouts and stuff. And I think that's probably a, a great indicator of where his basketballs to this point have come from, is that the two of them were working out in the gym or texting each other uh, at the gym, working on the same kind of uh, step backs and floaters and stuff. And we need him to just concentrate uh, on the defensive side of things and using his athleticism to do things like you were talking about, going out on the perimeter and stuff like that. And I was going to go to Quinn Cook, and we'll get to him. But I want to, uh, with all all this being said, talking about his player development, I want to talk about Jamel McMillan because honestly, I don't know anything about him. Just a bit of what I've read. He's 28. He's younger than Jordan Crawford, who is up there helping the guys, which is a wonderful story in its own right. He's the the son to Nate McMillan, who it, uh, was reportedly very close to Dell Demps at the time when he was hired in, in 2012. He was serving under Nate McMillan in London at the 2012 Olympics, where, where Nate was serving as an assistant. And uh, he had a job lined up with Microsoft at the time of all places when Dell Dems called him and offered him the assistant position. Tell us, what do you know about Jamel McMillan and are Check and Quinn Cook in the right hands with him? Yes, that's a very good question. And honestly, I wish I knew Jamel McMillan a little bit more, but I will tell you what I do know about him. And first of all, it's he reminds me of completely of Monty Williams, both his demeanor and his teaching um, methods and all the above. This guy is very passionate, yet he's very calm. He, he gets his point across without, you know, too many words. He's, he's the type of coach that I think is perfect for somebody like, say, Drew Holiday. Um, as you mentioned, he, being the father or the son of the famous NBA father, Nate McMillan, he's obviously been in the game for a very long time. So you have to know that his uh, wisdom, even though his age is still relatively young, he, he has more experience than most coaches out there in the business right now. So you can't really fault him um, for that aspect of not having the requisite knowledge. Um, what was the other thing I wanted to say about him? Oh, and everybody I've ever talked to speaks so highly of him. There's a reason why I think he, uh, he um, I don't know how to put it. He, he, he seems to do really well with the point guards. That's where all of them always mention him by name. Um, I mentioned Drew Holiday, but he's also worked with um, – Oh, God. Let me take this over uh, for a second. And, and you could see, like, through their games last year on how it could have been a stabilizing force because a lot of these guys, as we know, last year had a lot of issues. And uh, they it wasn't a problem all year. Like, for instance, Drew Holiday had a month of where he had high excessive turnovers or another month where he couldn't find a range on a three ball. But yet he uh, had a lot of stellar performances after that. That's what you have to look in the coach. And uh, one, the biggest thing that sticks out in my mind is he did a long interview with Kumar over at Bourbon Street Shots on his I was just uh, about podcast. To that. Yeah. And he, uh, he made the remark of how you take it game by game, step by step, play by play. And that's where you focus on. You never look at the results. You just take it as towards just a regular job. You don't like put too much into one effort. The guy, the way he made it described, it seemed like it's just a daily job, and he he just has an understanding of how not to get too high or too low with players. He seems like the perfect, like I said, mentor, I guess is probably the best way to put it for these young guys on, on our team. Yeah, and he spoke at length on the, it's called the Pelicast. It's a wonderful interview with uh, Kumar where he discusses his in-person workouts with uh, Drew Holiday as one of his guys, he was quoted as saying in the podcast. And Dante Cunningham, he talked about in 2015-16, 
bringing Dante from a 31.5% three-point shooter. He was more of a, a, a deep mid-range shooter, like a 15-foot guy. And he got his average in 2016-17 up to 39%. So uh, whatever, whatever chord he's striking in these guys is working. And he talked about how he didn't think being 28 at the Summer League was a detriment. He, he thought it was kind of this one-for-all, all-for-one type of uh, I don't know, type uh, scenario where all the guys grouped together are all trying to fight for their NBA lives, and they and it, and it almost connects them. It's not this uh, father-son type relationship. Yeah, that that's players. one thing you just remind me of. I wanted to add is his, his attention to detail. You're absolutely right. That's one of the big things, and for a 20-year-old to have that, that's impressive. For instance, you mentioned Cunningham. The one thing that he noticed and he pointed out to Kumar was the fact on one side of the corner, I can't remember if it's the right or left, he was outstanding. His form, his, um, his shot looked same every time and, and he shot for a high percentage but on the other side he had a much much lower percentage and um mcmillan noted that he has two or three different types of shots on his form and so he basically noticed the inconsistency and so right away he you know he saw the problem he's been working with him ever since i just think this guy's attention to detail is bar none and that's why as you mentioned we saw the improvement in dante's game yeah, and we're not just relying on Czech Diallo's development and uh, Jamel McMillan's uh, residual effect on that. We're also relying very heavily on his work with Quinn Cook. He's the other big story, and I'm, I'm going to connect this to Jamel if you'll just give me a moment. In game one against the Raps, uh, Cook dropped, uh, I think it was 25-5-5 and against the Hawks on Sunday, actually. And I think he, he shot 7-13 of 13 and 12-18. of 18. I know that for a fact. I think he had 16 against the Raptors and 25 against the Hawks, both uh Really great offensive performances. I remember on Friday night, he had some deep threes, five and six feet behind the line. When he was asked by, if you guys know Mike and Mike from ESPN, Jared Greenberg, Mike's brother on NBA TV, he he asked him about the open point guard position. And and Quinn called a, a big opportunity, and and you can see that he's been uh, there's there's all these news reports about he and Chet going to the gym twice a day, texting each other, talking on the phone late at night. That he's really been working hard. Uh, right now, the Pelicans haven't been doing too much in free agency, and Jake Madison says the Pels are super high on Quinn Cook. Just based on these two games, is is Quinn Cook our our day one starter in the regular season right now? Well, it's too early to say that, but I will say he's definitely put himself in the midst of the running for that position. Um, yeah, Jake Jake noticed that, but we've all noticed that too that they were high on Quinn Cook last season, and the numbers, even though he didn't play much, they were they were amazing when you compared to some of the the past people who played, you know, about 200 minutes, and for that rate where he made like close to 50 percent of his threes or something, how well that compared despite the low minutes. So yeah, I think the Pelicans know what they have in Cook, but as to uh, your question, he's, you just can't pencil him for that backup point guard position yet because it's only been two summer league games. Because last year we saw he did have some issues uh, running the offense. And if you've noticed this year, most of his assists come by just kickouts. That's where he drives the lane, he'll get doubled, or he just doesn't have that uh, seam to the basket, so he has to kick it back out. And so then the Pelican makes the open shot. That's most of his assists. He doesn't find... Uh, too many guys, I, I can't even recall one play where he threaded the needle for an easy lane or, or an alley-oop dunk, honestly. So he still has a lot of improvements besides on defensive end in that playmaking department. Yes, he can run an offense um, and, you know, get the team into their um, sets and all that. But as far as, you know, you know, mimicking even Drew Holiday out there, let alone maybe a Rondo or Chris Paul, he is so far, far away from doing that still. Um only thing I want to add is that, like I said, he, he's in the running for that position next year in training camp, but I do expect the Pelicans to probably seek out some help, get a veteran, either a Ty Lawson or a John Rondo, because it's simply too much for Quinn Cook right now. The fact that he can make shots on the outside, that's what the Pelicans are most interested in. He's, that, he's filling that Patty Mills type of role to a T so far, so they're going to be real keen to watch if he can continue that, doing that and not put so much on his plate as to where maybe it does hinder his performance. So. That's what I'm going to be watching for. All right, let's get to some of our, our role players. Last year, Axel Tupon uh, got a 10-day contract and got extended through the rest of the season, like uh, some of the rest of these guys, like Jordan Crawford and Quinn Cook. And uh, I have to say he's been disappointing thus far. He 
He has potential as a 3 and D guy, according to most New Orleans experts, and Pels Brass are definitely hoping he steps into that role. But on Sunday, he had two points, three rebounds. He missed all four of his shots. He got uh, dosed pretty good by Bembry on some of the highlights and and also by Torian Prince. Uh, they scored 33 collective points on him. And he's only on a partially guaranteed contract. It's it's early, Ali, but uh, it's not too early for wild conjecturing because what else are we going to talk about at this point in the season? <laughs> Do you think Axel Tupon is headed back to the D-League right now? Yeah, absolutely. I, I was ho- had hopes for him that maybe he could show a little something on the offensive end and earn one of those two-way contracts from the Pelicans because I never assumed he would make the roster. He had way too many flaws last year that everybody could notice. But no, he doesn't even look like he'll be able to earn that type of contract. But first of all, I really have to mention, I have to applaud you for saying his last name correctly. Uh, over the last day, I've just heard Tupain, Tupain, no, no, Tupon, Tupon. So the fact you said it correctly, uh, you deserve a pat on the back. That's, really that's been hate, driving me crazy. <laughs> I really hate that you just said that because I'm about to murder this young man's name. Let me try it. Is it Peter Jock or is it Yoach? I think it's Jock. That's one I don't know. Nobody's given me the correct pronunciation on him. Uh, oh, so we'll just go with Jock, huh? You had to compliment me right before I stumbled over this young guy's name. Uh, (laughs) But now that we've both uh, uh, confessed to the fact that we know nothing about this young man, let's talk about why we don't like him, shall we? Uh, He played five minutes, and and we haven't seen him since. Uh, Talk about Peter Jockey, who's supposed to be this uh, assassin three-point shooter, and he can't seem to see any floor time. What's up with that? Well, I think that the coaching staff noted how awful he looked in those five minutes. He was like a fish out of water. He was running around on offense, and not only was he out of place, his shot, I don't know if you remember or saw his first shot, but it was a wild three-point shot that kind of glanced off the backboard, barely grazed the rim, you know, basically missed it by a couple of feet. And everything after that didn't look good either. So my guess is they're just, instead of throwing him back out there, they're they're working with him um, outside of the games, you know, when practices and such, and maybe even on his own personal time. That's where they can get him in a better mindset, get him in, in some kind of flow. Because you, you, if they have hopes for him, which I think they have to, considering how well he shot, you know, shooters, amazing shooters are such a rare find in the NBA these days that it's willing, that's why they're willing to take a chance on him, but also why they're not throwing him into the wolves, because that's not going to do him any good. Uh, as we know, if you are good at something, all of a sudden you can't seem to be able to do it. Like, for instance, shooting full, and all of a sudden you miss three or four shots, you start thinking about it. You know, it doesn't do anybody good to just basically ha- keep throwing that guy out there and watching him slump so poorly, get down on himself. Now, I think we're still going to see him. He's, he's going to come back in. I'm hoping uh, even tonight. Uh, but if not, then, yeah, maybe I'm even being too high on him, and maybe it's time to write him off because if he can't see any court time the rest of the summer league, then, yeah, that's an issue. And uh, I guess we can – probably not look for him to be with the Pelicans or associate with them in any, any way, shape, or form going forward. Well, if you can't find a way to see more floor time, we, we don't have to waste our try- time trying to learn his name. I'm kidding. That's that's so awful. <laughs> um, you mentioned his sh- first shot being a wild one that didn't even grace the rim. Uh, do you think this is just a, a, a matter of prescribing Xanax to him? <laughs> I don't know. Honestly, um, have you ever had severe butterflies? Does Xanax help? I'm not sure. I've never tried that, but no, I I, I truly think it's just the stage. This kid, from what I've heard, takes such pride in everything he does. That's why it's a shame that he had such a bad first outing. He hasn't seen the course since because let's face it. We've seen the, uh, what Sheck's been able to do and to have, um, a fellow country or not a country man, I should say a continent man alongside might be actually a good thing for the Pelicans. So I don't know. I don't know what the, the the right prescription is to get him back on his feet, Preston. But well, I don't know. <laughs> I just don't know how to answer that one. All right, let's let's graze over some uh, other supporting cast players really quickly. Uh, James Young just played 12 minutes on Sunday, had nine points, 12 on Friday. Why aren't we seeing more of the former first round pick from Boston? My first instinct says that the Pelicans coaching staff has a, those, that glut of wings, that they're all kind of equal in their eyes. So they're going to give each one a bigger opportunity from one game to the next. And in the first game, James Young started, and then yesterday he barely played. And I think we saw who more? Oh, Jalen Jones and then um, Ryan O'Neal. Saw a lot more court time, especially in closing minutes of yesterday's game. I think that said a lot, despite the fact that I think both of those guys were struggling while James Young actually – 
had a better, uh, more efficient night going for himself. Now, that, that said, I'm not too high on Young. I'm not quite sure why everybody is. Just because this guy was um, selected by the uh, Boston Celtics three years ago is, is one thing. But the fact that he hasn't done anything over these past three years really to differentiate himself, to get Boston to put him in and, you know, start earning some minutes, that, I think that says a lot. And in these two games, honestly, he, he came into this series proclaimed as being a really good shooter, outside shooter, but I don't see it. I honestly don't see the touch in his, his shooting hand. Um, for instance, he had an air ball from mid-range, which wasn't all that closely uh, defended. Uh, I think that was in the first game. And then his three ball, it seems like I've seen varying arcs on his shot. A um, few of them have even almost felt like more like a slingshot. Now, it's hard for me to qualify because he's a lefty and I'm a righty, so and I'm not a scout, but it just it looks awkward to me, some of his shots in my eyes. So I just think he's kind of overrated. And being the name from the Boston Celtics and the fact the Pelicans haven't made any free agent moves, they're kind of clinging on to this instead of focusing on the guy who I like. And we're going to move right along to Jalen Jones. He is a, he was a D-League rookie last year, but another thing people don't know about him is Boston Celtics were high on him last year, and they invited him to his training camp. And what I've seen out of him is a lot more enticing than James Young. First of all, this guy is six foot eight, and he can handle the ball. Um, he has probably looked the best in driving into the lane in traffic uh, and finishing. Um, I haven't seen any other Pelican do that. For instance, Tupon, he made a couple of drives in that first game against the Raptors, and the guy either just gave up about eight feet from the rim and kind of just stopped, turned, and passed the ball back out, or he ended up attempting a really tough shot where he never even got by the defender, and, of course, he missed. Um, same thing with James Young. He doesn't seem to be able to get any kind of separation. It's either let's pray for a foul or somehow a lucky shot goes in. But that hasn't been the case with Jalen Jones. This guy got by two defenders um, right around the rim twice within minutes of each other in yesterday's game and finished easily. Um, the only thing that's kind of lacking in his department, I looked it up, is he isn't the world's greatest outside shooter. But then again, if he's exhibiting all these type of skills, which he also includes a really good motor. I love this guy. Um, he's always fighting for position. He tries to crash the glass hard. Um, he has had a lot of defensive lapses, but then again, when he has done well, he's always trying, he's always trying to stay in front of his man. I've even seen him try and box out, which as we know, NBA players rarely try and do that. And then we end up cursing them when they give up an offensive rebound. So there's a lot to like about Jalen Jones, who's emerging easily as my third favorite and uh, most likely candidate to receive some kind of contract from the Pelicans going forward. Most likely it'd be a two-way contract, but again, got to keep an eye on him because I think he's, he may be headed for one. If what do you think about him, Preston? I don't know. I, I just just jump probably right next to the next question. Have you had a chance to look at Jalen at all? I haven't. I've read uh, a bunch of your reports, and I've been keeping close with uh, Bourbon Street shots. And like you said, the size, the motor, he's got all the measurables. He's not afraid of the moment sort of thing. But I haven't had an opportunity to watch him play because, honestly, like I said to you before we got on air, it's, I have NBA League Pass, but it's so uh, difficult to – to get the full games in their entirety. Right now, I'm, I'm stuck with these 10-minute recaps. But I did come up with a ridiculous theory during your analysis of James Young and Jalen Jones and how they were both with the Celtics. And I came up with this wild idea, which uh, really is going to lead us nowhere. But it's the offseason. Why not? We've got DeMarcus Cousins. They bring in Chris Finch uh, to, to kind of engineer an offense around him. And then they bring in Jaleel Cousins, his brother. And then they bring in former Kentucky Wildcat Darius Miller. And then they bring in former Kentucky Wildcat James Young. Do you, do you think there's any kind of world or scenario where all of this is being done just to appease DeMarcus Cousins and get him back for one more year because they know they're not going to build a winner around him? No, the only name that they truly are trying to appease anybody with is his brother. Um, I think I've heard somewhere that this is the norm. For instance, in all of his years with Sacramento, um, Jaleel was always around the team, and I think he was there for, like, last year's summer camp or something to that effect, you know. Um, so that, that, that's definitely a part of the package. But as for the other guys, no, I don't think there's anything to that at all. I think Darius Miller is simply the Pelicans are obviously seeing the market on the really good three-point shooters, and they've gone within the first week pretty much. You know, Nick Young, C.J. Miles, they're all off the board. So the fact that Darius Miller improved somewhat in the EuroLeague as to where he became a, a knockdown shooter from deep, I think it doesn't hurt to have a look at him in training camp. I think that's exactly 
the deal they structured to. I heard it was for two years and about over three million. So it indicates to me they're just signing him to a, um, a veteran's minimum exception, which is, can be a contract up to two years. And the fact that he's been in the league for three years, I think his starting salary next year is supposed to be like a little over 1.5 million. Next year, 1.6. So easily you can see why that number, that figure we saw, just over three million, where it comes from. Okay, just a little background on Jalen Jones for those of you, like me, who don't know very much about him. Uh, he spent his first college year at Southern Methodist, transferred to Texas A&M, second team All-SEC, went undrafted in 2016, then joined the Toronto Raptors for last year's summer leagues, and then, like you said, went to the Boston Celtics. Let's move right along to some of the other supporting cast guys. Isaiah Cousins was actually a second-round pick last year, and then we've got guys like Keith Benson and Ryan O'Neal. Do, do any of these guys look look to you like they might be developmental prospects or do you guys, or do you think these are all just uh, Vegas bodies? Um, I think maybe the Pelicans may have had a hope for one or more of these guys, but I haven't seen anything, um, especially out of Isaiah Cousins. This guy's defense, if somebody wants to complain about Quinn Cook's defense, he's a thousand times worse. Um, his shot kind of looks bad, and, and I don't like his decision-making. For instance, there was a play – in yesterday's game where he drove down the lane, tried to pull up for a floater from about, I don't know, six to eight feet. And he had both Jalen Jones and James Young sitting wide open under the rim. Easy dump off pass, but nope, he ended up shooting a contested shot and missing. So right off there, right, right then and there, I kind of wrote him off. Um, Keith Benson, he's just too slow. And, you know, that's kind of what's the bugaboo about Jaleel Cousins. These guys are big, but my God, they look slow. They make Alexia Jensa look like a Ferrari out there almost. You know, these guys, the way they turn and get off the ground, they just can't. So, no, these guys, unfortunately, the modern NBA has got them. There's just really no room for them in this, in this new game anymore that's being played. Uh, I did like Ryan O'Neal in terms of kind of the intensity brought. He made a couple of good defensive plays in the past couple of games. But, again, he seemed to just, like, kind of sit and wait for an open three-point shot on offense. Other than that, he really did nothing else. So, yeah, none of these guys moved the needle for me, and I don't think it does for the Pelicans either. Talk about Summer League and uh, and some of these guys, like, culminating with this. I, I talked a little bit earlier about Czech Diallo, how he's talking to everybody, trying to create this team-first atmosphere. However, you know, we keep seeing these reports that the whole offseason is about Czech Diallo and how Quinn Cook and he are, like, these best buds who go to the gym together. They go twice together per day. They call each other every night. Do you think there's any risk of ostracizing the rest of these young guys and kind of hindering their development? Yeah, that's a very good question. Now, granted, I'm not sure that these guys are like best buds. I think whoever wrote that, I think that's probably an easy conclusion to jump to just because they make carpool a couple of times uh, or, you know, what is it, to the game, I guess, in Vegas they're doing right now. Um, I think the bigger thing to draw from this is the fact that, you know, Diallo and Cook, ever since the last regular season ended, they've been the two most um, – maybe the only two Pelicans that have been practicing almost every day since the season ended. So therefore, isn't it kind of natural that these two guys have kind of formed a bond? You know, they're seeing each other every day working out or on the practice court working on some kind of shot. Um, I think that's all this means is the fact that they have been there together a lot and pretty much have probably been the only guys outside of maybe two ponds um, that they've kind of bonded. So no, I don't see a danger from that aspect. Um, unless of course they are just hanging out and basically on the rest of the guys during the time off in Vegas. No, no, it's just us. You guys go do your own thing. But I, I can't see that being the case. I don't think that's happening, Preston. So I don't think we've got anything to worry about. Yeah, I just think of like uh, in the Major League Baseball when they've got these number one overall picks, how it must feel to everybody else when they see the, you know, this golden arm pitcher come and spend three months in the minor leagues knowing full well this guy's got a destiny to go to the big leagues in, in a few short months and how that affects the players around him. But since we're talking about workouts, there was a, a video released by Pelicans.com of Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins working out together in the gym. And Anthony Davis was bulking up a bit, uh, and I know this because my fiance is a personal trainer he was doing what's called rear foot elevated lunges with 135 pounds on his back that's where you put one leg behind you put it about two feet in the air on the on a bench put 135 pounds on your on your back or that's what it looked like and and bringing that back knee all the way to the floor do you think we see him bulk up at all this year even more so than last year i think it's a smart thing for him to do because let's face it a lot of his injuries have come from as to where it's either been stretching or the fact he just hasn't been strong enough to take certain contact. 
So I think Anthony, as long as he's not giving up any quickness or flexibility, I think he absolutely should be doing that. And more to the point, I have a feeling that the Pelicans are going to keep him closer to the rim this season than DeMarcus Cousins. So, in essence, he's going to have to be stronger because he's going to be the one taking a lot more pounding down low on a lot of those uh, offensive plays where he's trying to throw down on somebody. Okay, um, that is – yeah. That is yeah, a hot go take. Ahead, yeah, that's about all I got. <laughs> I think a lot of people are expecting him to, to move into sort of a Kevin Durant-type role with the, the Golden State Warriors where he sits out of the three-point line and – and DeMarcus Cousins kind of dominates from the elbow, and we see Anthony Davis kind of all over the court. Uh, but but we're getting off track. We're talking about Summer League. Uh, all, okay, I, I've got a wild uh, uh, theory time, I guess, another one. Boogie and Del Demps uh, were seen spending a lot of time, I think it was an hour, sitting next to each other against the Hawks. Uh, Ollie, let's, let's pretend that that you are friends with Daniel Craig. You're some kind of secret agent. You hit a microphone under the bleacher right before the two of them sat down. What do you think the two of them were talking about? And don't say popcorn. <laughs> well, they're probably talking about which restaurant they're going to eat tonight, what show they're going to catch. We're going to be playing cards till 3 a.m. again. I mean, what else do you do in Vegas? <laughs> you have a good time. <laughs> I mean, those guys, I noticed that when the camera cuts to them a few times, and I remember recording a quick clip of one of them, they were laughing a lot with one another. So they're cracking jokes. You can tell their relationship is pretty good. Um, you know, there's no cousins or whatever sat down with uh, George Carl like that. Um, and now, obviously, definitely not Vladi Divac. So, no, that, it was good to see. It's good to see that, uh, you know, one of the most best players in the NBA, an elite player that the Pelicans just traded for, is able to sit there and laugh with the general manager. Um, as to what they're saying, I mean, you hope that they're talking about, um, you know, kind of ideas for next season or maybe some other players. Because let's face it, Boogie's got – his contact list is just as big, if not bigger, than Del Demps because how popular is in the NBA – and, you know, there was that rumor where DeMarcus Cousins is supposedly on the lowdown trying to re- secretly recruit some players towards uh, New Orleans. So let's just hope let's hope that's what some of the conversation was. But, you know, to be realistic, no, these guys are just having fun, kicking back and enjoying themselves. You know, it's time off for Boogie and Dell Demps, too, and kind of in a way. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think we can consider that good news, that DeMarcus' uh, relationship with our general manager is strong. Now let's hope we can translate it into wins and they can build on this. We do have some more good news, and that's uh, our second-round pick out of Duke, Frank Jackson. Uh, although he's going to sit out summer league as he recovers from his foot surgery for uh, a stress reaction in the right foot, McMillan, the head coach, said he would not be out for long. He said his exact return date is unclear. I do know he'll be out on the court here fairly soon, McMillan said, but I do not have a time frame. How exciting is that, Ollie? Oh, that's good news because, I mean, let's face it, when we start hearing about stress reactions, we automatically think Drew Holiday, and then we think about how long he was out. So, no, the fact that he's supposed to return to the court soon and easily be ready for our training camp. That is, that is solid news. I still find it astounding. And don't you, the fact that he played with the stress reaction or something to that effect, almost the entire season at Duke and decided to get the surgery um, once the season was over, that just blows my mind. I mean, I don't know. I guess I had read that he wasn't in a lot of pain ever. So and it was never an issue. So, but still it's just, it's weird news. You know, I, I don't know what to make of it. Yeah, the, it says the injury was first discovered in November, but he decided to hold off on having the procedure until after Duke's entire season had concluded right. because he never experienced any pain. I I don't think, maybe I have, I don't think I've ever had a stress reaction in my foot, but I can't imagine that whilst in the midst of my stress reaction, I would not experience any pain. Is this just a heightened sensitivity to pain or or is a stress reaction something that most of us live with every day and we just never know it? Well, yeah, that's what I was thinking about, because when I studied Drew Holiday's injury, one thing I found out is stress reactions are caused by some kind of weakness occurring in the bone. And once that stress reaction happens, you almost have like where that that fault, where that break, whatever you want to call it, is about to happen. So the only thing you can really do is you stop. You stop the activity. you got to give it time to rest and heal. And the fact that he played through it, I'm thinking, okay, so he had kind of this weak part in his bone. I was thinking the whole time, okay, were they not worried that maybe this could develop into something worse? I mean, I'm not a doctor, so... And I guess I haven't stayed in the Holiday Inn lately enough, so I can't answer the question. But it blows my mind, you know, just thinking about stress reaction equals Drew Holiday equals big problems. Yet Duke, look at what they did. They let him play all year, and he made it through unscathed. So I guess I guess we should probably just go ahead and not worry about this anymore. But it's still an interesting thing to think about. 
I, I can't let you go any further without calling you out for that Holiday Inn commercial reference that you just so cleverly <laughs> dropped in there. No, but I did stay at a Holiday Inn last night. Uh, good stuff, man. Uh, let's let's talk about Mike Schmitz from Draft Express. Called him a powerful and explosive leaper with a 42-inch vertical. Called him a slasher perimeter scorer. And all of this is is on a stress reaction. So granted, we're not doctors. But if that's what he can do while he only has one properly working foot, uh, I can't wait to see if he can do more once he's fully healed. Let's move right along to Darius Miller. The only other bit of news that we have going forward. Uh, he was a 38% shooter out of college. I believe one two championships in Germany, including their, their Eurobasket league, which I think is kind of like their premier soccer league. It's the uh, equivalent to that. He's got good size. Uh, they call him a good locker room leader. I remember in Kentucky, he was a six man and never, never demanded more, never asked for more, always willing to put the team first. Um, tell us, do you expect Darius Miller to make the team? He does have a two-year, $3 million contract, although I think most of it is not guaranteed. Do you expect him to make the team? And what sort of minutes do you see him getting? No, unfortunately, see, I don't see him making the team. I saw enough over the his first three years, or really it was like two years and then a few games in that third season, to know or think that, you know, this guy's pretty much pegged because he already came, like you said, into the league as a graduating senior out of Kentucky. So it's not like he was young to begin with. So how much can his game develop? Um, when he was with the Pelicans the first time around, I would just simply classify him as shy. He did a lot of ball watching. As for once the shot went up, he didn't really move much for the rebound. He wasn't a playmaker. This guy would only really shoot only when Dante Cunningham uh, licks the shots, and that's when they're open. And he didn't get to the rim much. So how much has, you know, two years over in the German league, uh, was it the Bundesliga, and then also playing in the Euro League to change that for him? And when I looked at the numbers, you know, kind of comparable. Um, in both years in the Euro League for his team, he had purrs of under 15, so right there kind of shows you that he's still really not doing much outside of draining shots. Um, but it goes to the argument, I guess, that it all comes down to how well he is shooting the ball. If this guy can make shots um, from the outside, whether pull-ups or uh, spot-ups and catch-and-shoots, if he can do all of them really, really well, then, yeah, he could earn himself um, a place on his team because his size allows him to be able to hold his own defensively. And uh, maybe he has developed a little bit more playmaking, a little bit more of that team concept. So he's not going to get totally, uh, um, you know, put on display and taken advantage of by the opponents. But again, I I just don't have too many high hopes for him. I feel like this is just, and that's why I think this is a largely unguaranteed deal. The Pelicans just kind of throwing, you know, taking a stab here. Uh, He's got ties to the team and the fact that, Pelicans may not be able to sign a lot of, if not all of their free agent targets, they have to look elsewhere. And this is one of their ways of, you know, trying to fill that um, possible roster spot. You know, I thought we were going to exit on a high note. And now you're saying that our second free agent that we've acquired this offseason isn't even making the team. I'm sorry. You're not <laughs> us here, Ollie. But now I understand why we've got so many wings in, in summer league. Uh, Jalen Jones. Yeah, but Preston, but Preston, to be honest, though, this isn't, shouldn't be that negative. See, a lot of people are, are equating the lack of activity by the Pelicans as a bad thing. I almost see this as a good thing. So they missed out on a couple of their free agent targets. I feel like now what they're doing is they're holding – and kind of a holding pattern as to where they're not really trying to sign anybody else until they make a trade first happen because they're so close to that luxury line. And I think they want to bring Dante Cunningham back. If they were to like, say bring Dante Cunningham back and then sign a couple of these free agents, they may not be able to execute one of these trades for Jeremy Lin or whoever. So I think that's what's in play first. I think that honestly, if a player out there like a Ty Lawson, Rajon Rondo or some lesser known shooter, wants to come to Pelicans, they don't mind waiting that extra week. They've kind of already had a handshake, wink, wink, we're going to get you as long as this falls into place. So uh, don't, don't, don't look at this inactivity or the fact that I'm kind of downplaying Darius Miller to be like uh, all doom and gloom and we've got nothing to look forward to until, you know, the games start back up next fall. What a wonderful segue you just provided me with. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at the salary cap table right now. We're capped at almost 115 right now, although $6 million of that is in non-guarantees. So our, our apron, I think, is somewhere between like 119 and 123.9. So right now we've got enough flexibility, if we wanted to, to give Dante Cunningham 
I don't know, four million to to stay out of the luxury tax, or or possibly as much as. I think it'll take more, Preston. Preston, I think it'll take more because he just turned down an option for like, wasn't it around four million? So I think it's he's probably looking more like five to six, is my guess per year. There you go with that negativity again, Ollie. I've had enough <laughs> of it. I, I, I know. It's not I it's realism. It's realism, buddy. <laughs> I think it was three million, wasn't it? Three million. I'm, I'm pulling this straight from memory, but I think it was a little bit less than that. But you could be right. Was it? I, I think so. If somebody did want him for four million, I know that he's still eligible for a sign and trade under those terms. And if we packaged him with some of those. Um, non-guaranteed contracts like uh, Quinn Cook and Darius Miller and Czech Diallo. Um, oh, we, I hope they don't move Quinn Cook. I will say that. Please, no. But anyway, I go ahead. <laughs> Let's just say under the premise that we did, this is according to yeah. Jason Palms on Bourbon Street Shots, we could potentially package that $6 million plus the, the $5 million hold we have on Dante, and we could get – uh, we could trade for somebody making as much as 11 or 12 million right now. Someone, I don't know how much Jeremy Lin is making right now, but it's somewhere in that vein. We could potentially yeah. still acquire one of those players without unloading one of the uh, less favorable contracts like a Jinser or a Sheik. No, I agree. And I mean, I wrote about all this stuff. I think a lot of this stuff where some people are talking about on other podcasts and stuff, I wrote about this stuff a week ago and like how we could make Lin happen and why it would be enviable for them to take on some of these unguaranteed contracts. So yeah, th- this is totally familiar to me. Um, and I could see it happening. I mean, even though we like what we've seen at Queen Cook. Yeah. I think if we're getting Jeremy Lin, I think Del Demps does do that. And we have to live with that because let's face it. Jeremy Lin is the starter quality starting uh, guard in this league. That's where Queen Cook is still trying to prove himself. So you do that 10 times out of 10. Um, and yeah, you're absolutely right. That 6 million in unguaranteed contracts, could be very enviable. Some team trying to shed some salary, just simply not add any. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Um, I don't think they'll be able to move uh, Omar Ashik. Uh, I think everybody's hoping for that, but, you know, it's just going to take too, too many assets. So, yeah, the route you're talking, maybe Quincy Pondexter, definitely Alexia Agenza, and maybe one or two, all three of those unguaranteed contracts could be shipped out still. Uh, we still got the rest of this month. I still expect there's a decent chance for something to happen. So keep your fingers crossed. Who would have thought you do have a website and there is an article on it called instead of Eric Bledsoe, New Orleans Pelicans would be wise to focus on Jeremy Lin. So you weren't making it all up. I didn't trust you initially, but now I know you're telling the truth. Ali, other than the, the 5 p.m. tip off against Brooklyn, what else do we have to look forward from your, your wonderful uh, site, thebirdrights.com? Well, we're going to take a look into, uh, for instance, the, just yesterday, Brett talked about how maybe one of our writers, that is, Brett, he uh, talked about how maybe uh, Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins will not be able to carry, you know, this team with kind of largely the this existing roster we're looking at. Uh, I'm going to take an alternative view. I've been looking at some historical data and stuff to where it points to the fact that it almost doesn't even matter who, who's next to these guys, as long as they're semi-competent in just a few areas, this team is going to make the playoffs because they're going to win enough games. Um, I'm going to be you know, concentrating mainly on that, looking at predictions, looking at how we can expect the team to play going forward. Um, and then, of course, we're going to have training camp coming, on, coming up, so we've got to focus on, on who may potentially play well, do a couple previews, stuff like that. And as you know, we, we, we have fun – all off season, so we got months to talk about how we see stuff playing out. So this is the best time of the year, honestly. Everybody's got the same record. We can be high on one team, down on another, and we can list our reasons. So I think we can do that endlessly until the games begin. Just for our listeners, you can follow him at Red Hopeful. Of course, you can follow him at The Bird Rights on Twitter and at TheBirdRights.com. You just made a pretty bold prediction. You just Babe Ruth the Pelicans into the playoffs. I just want to uh-huh. run down real quick. We've got the Warriors, obviously, number one. Spurs, number two. Uh, Rockets, potentially number three with CP3, although a lot of people are predicting a drop-off. CP, uh, The Clippers are reloading. The Jazz, they brought back a couple of guys. Joe Ingles added Ricky Rubio. Donovan Mitchell looks good so far. The Wolves, of course, have Teague uh, and Butler that they've added. The Nuggets, Millsap, and of course, they've got some young players who will have more time. The Thunder, Paul George, that's already eight teams there, Ollie. And then, of course, we have I'm the not worried. Hey, you listen to some teams that I think are going to finish worse than the Pelicans. I don't get why people are high on the Clippers. I don't really see why Minnesota is getting such a pass. 
Um, who else did you mention? Oh, in Utah, I, I think people are dismissing too much the fact that George Hill and Gordon Hayward are gone. Yeah, Ricky Rubio's nice, but Rodney Hood had a disappointing playoff. And then you're talking about a Mitchell, uh, a rookie, and they're supposed to win 50 games again. I just don't see it. But that's all going to come out. We're going to talk. We've got plenty of time to talk about that. But like I said, I'm not, I'm not ready to put eight, nine, ten teams like a lot of people are doing ahead of the Pelicans. I just think that they're looking at this equation wrong. And, you know, every year there's always a couple surprise teams. And so that's, that's right now is where I'm, I'm placing my bet. I love the optimism. I'm going to have fun disagreeing with you about this for the rest of the offseason. <laughs> <laughs> well, somebody has to prod you and Nico into writing on the site because I'm, I'm spending so much time doing this. I'm too lazy to put anything up on there. We've got we've to rely on the two of you. Yeah. And, of course, uh, everybody go check out Brett's article. Really good stuff. Ollie, fantastic job as always. Always fun conversing with you. And we'll have to have Kevin back on here soon and keep recapping these games. And hopefully uh, hopefully we'll, we'll see Czech Diallo and Quinn Cook become all-stars before our eyes. Oh, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? Yeah, that'd be talent. pretty cool. Yeah, the fact that people always bemoan the Pelicans for not developing talent and suddenly they get these two guys that contribute, that would be huge. Forget the all-star stuff. The fact they could become rotation players, that would be huge. Yeah. Good stuff, Ollie. And I'll talk to you soon, man. Thanks, Preston. Thank you guys so much yet again. You can follow Ollie at Red Hopeful. Now, don't go too far because we've got some more coming up for you guys. We still have Hoops Habit and Pelicans beat writer Charles LaRocca on breaking down tonight's game against Brooklyn, as well as some bonus content from our buddy Matthew Huff. But for now, I'm Preston Ellis. I want to thank Ollie, the rest of the crew at Bird Rides for this opportunity, and to you guys for downloading. Now, if you want to be heard, tweet me at Preston Ellis. I'll make sure to get to your questions onto the very next pod. And you guys, let's go, pals. We've got a game tonight against Brooklyn, and uh, hopefully Check and Quinn come through strong. Let's consider the secret life of the innermost nesting doll. Living most of her life in the dark inside the other nesting dolls, she has plenty of time to think, if she could. Sadly, she has no brain. However, when an innermost nesting doll hears that Geico not only saves people money, but also has been providing great service for over 75 years, she thinks it's obvious you should switch. Because yes, switching to Geico is a no-brainer. Pity the innermost nesting doll and her lot in life. Geico presents, yikes, another voicemail from your roommate. Sup, roomie? Hey, a pipe burst in the basement. It's completely flooded. Anyway, I called for someone to fix it, but in the meantime, I was thinking we could finally have that indoor pool party we've always wanted. I got some cool swan floaty things already going. Could you pick up some chips on your way home? Later. The Geico Insurance Agency could help keep your personal property protected. Like if your roommate isn't the brightest pool float in the flooded basement. Visit geico.com to see how easy it is to switch and save on renter's insurance.